Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. I'm Hans Peters. I'm a former pastor at Jane Finch Faith Community and at Milverton Christian Fellowship. And I guess you would say I'm kind of semi-retired now because almost everything I do is online, except for today. Anyway, thank you for allowing me to, to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart for today. And, and, and you, you know, today is a, is a special Sunday. Does anybody know what in the general church what this Sunday is? In the general Christian church today is considered the Transfiguration Sunday. And it's, it's like, Transfiguration is like the the unfolding of the holiness of God. Holiness of God. It's a term that tells me that of the display of of God's radiance and of his glory. And so that's the title for, for today, for the sermon today, is the radiant holiness, the radiant glow from God. And our scripture today will come out of Exodus 34. Now, quite honestly, I'll be going through quite a bit of Exodus to get the backstory through, okay? And I'd recommend that when you get the chance, actually read the book of Exodus again. It's a fascinating story. But first, join me in prayer. God, you bring us together in this place. We come to be fed, to be renewed, to seek understanding. God, you challenge us, and and Lord, you allow us to embrace that challenge. Allow us to grow in faith. For Lord, you are revealed, sometimes in shining glory, sometimes in tears and struggle. And so we ask that you refresh us, renew us, so that we would see and be witness to your awesomeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since the early days of of Christianity, Jesus' transfiguration has been associated with Moses, who also stood before God and also with the prophet Elijah. And you might well ask, why these two? Well, of course we can guess, but a good possibility can be seen if we look at a famous painting from, uh, painted by Raphael. Uh, he was a famous Italian painter from about, about 600 years ago. He painted a representation of the traditions of the law and the prophets with Jesus as the gospel. And well, I'd like to focus on Moses' experience today. The story starts with God's great acts during the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. During that time, we can see God's show of strength 
We can see God's actions on behalf of the Israelites who were slaves. We can see God's use of creation as the medium of that salvation, and we can see God's protection. Sadly, during all that time and, and after, God's people don't understand, or maybe it was simply that their faith just wasn't strong enough. But before we get to the pinnacle of transfiguration, I'd like to back up a couple of chapters and take a look at walking for a bit. Walking in Moses' sandals. You know what they say about walking a mile in someone's shoes? Well, let's do that for a moment. What, what kind of sandals did Moses have to walk in with those Israelites? First off, when we go to back, back to Exodus 19, we find that Exodus 34 was not the first time that Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai. Moses had been up that mountain other times. In Exodus 19, Moses had received the revelation that God would make a covenant with the people. Then in Exodus 20, verse 2, everything that was revealed was preceded with the introduction where he says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. The agreement that followed was based on the fact that God had made his claim upon Israel. God had established them as his people by, his, by this act of delivery, this act of redemption, this act of reconciling, of healing. What followed was based on the assumption that God would do for them what only a living God could do for his people. What followed was not only the giving of the Ten Commandments, but also the ordering of the Israelites' lives through principles, laws, rituals, and, and worship regulations. Okay, this might seem a bit cynical, but what happens in Exodus 32 reminds me a bit of our current instant gratification culture. When the people had to wait, and they didn't have to wait all that long, coupled with uncertainty, because they didn't know what had happened to Moses when he went up the mountain. Well, what would we do? Waiting 40 days? <laughs> We'd likely lose patience and go our own ways most times, right? The Israelites lost patience and they committed their infamous folly of making a golden calf, like similar to the idols that they had seen in Egypt. So here's what happens when Moses gets back down the mountain in Exodus 32. They just made that calf. Here's what it says, Exodus 32, 19 to 20. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Then, the next day, continuing... In Exodus 32, verses 30 and 31, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. 
So Moses returned to the Lord. Back up the mountain he goes. I wonder what kind of a climb that was. I wonder what kind of stamina Moses had to have. Talk about walking in his sandals. Imagine having to make that kind of a climb. Then moving forward to Exodus 33, verses 12, 14, 17 to 19, 21, 23. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. Verse 14, the Lord replied, I will go personally, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Verse 17, I will indeed do what you have asked. I will look favorably on you, and I, will, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Then moving on to Exodus 34, then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Verse 28, Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. Okay, friends, here you have it. This, this is the historical setting for today's passage. So if you have it with you, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 34, and I think it might pop up on the screen, and I'll be reading from verses 29 to 35. I'm using the New Living Translation, and I believe you can follow, like I say, yes, you can. <laughs> cool, I like that. Here's what it says. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. 
So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Word of the Lord. Friends, my prayer today is that together we may experience the holiness of our Lord. Centuries ago, and I don't remember where, it was a common artistic convention somewhere in Europe, probably Italy, and this is likely during the Middle Ages. Well, convention was to portray Moses with two horns, one on each side of his head. Most famous is a sculpture by Michelangelo. Those two horns translated happen to be also the Hebrew word for a ray of light. And it all began with this passage that I just read. It says that when Moses came down from the mountain, the skin of his face shone in the sense of a ray, like the sun, coming forth from the head as a symbol of divinity. Now the, the Latin translation, the Vulgate, took it literally and referred to a horned Moses. And from that translation came the pictorial representation of Moses with horns. A number of questions of interpretation arise not only regarding that shining face, but also regarding the veil which Moses had put on his face. What kind of a veil was it? The text never describes it, but what it seems to imply, or maybe the word is claim, about the transfiguration of Moses is that Moses is filled with God's glory and holiness. So I'd like to dig in a bit into these thoughts. Uh, first, there's the Israelites' reconciliation with God through Moses. Second, the second thought is about meeting with God. The third thought is that there is a request for an image to worship. Fourth, God commands them to go, but God will not go with them. And finally, the fifth thought is, let's take a closer look at the holiness of God. First, there's the Israelites' reconciliation with God through Moses. Exodus 34, oh, just in verse 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. Verse 8, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. And he said, O Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. Verse 10, the Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. Verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write down all these instructions, for they represent the terms of the covenant I am making with you and with Israel. And that was God making a new covenant of reconciliation with the Israelites. This is a covenant initiated by God, and it required Israelites to obey God's terms. 
The second thought is about meeting with God. Did you notice Moses actually went up to meet with God on Mount Sinai? And he did it several times as recorded in Exodus. Through to the end of book of Exodus, from verse 19 to the end. Depending on how you count and how you interpret it, it appears that Moses climbed Mount Sinai about eight times to meet with the Lord. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> and my sandals will probably have worn out by now. The first ascent after the exodus from Egypt is in, where in, in Exodus 19.16 where it says, On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Okay, the people of Israel were understandably frightened, right? Wouldn't you be when you have that kind of a display in front of you? Then in verse 18, all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because, of, because the Lord had descended in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. Now we get to the seventh ascent. Moses goes back to the Lord in Exodus 32, 32, in order to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel. This implies another ascent up the mountain. It says in verse 32, But now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. Moses is giving a show of great love and mercy that anticipates the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Moses offers his own life in exchange for the life of Israel. The events on Mount Sinai were monumental in the history of not only Moses and the Israelites, but really for the, all the rest of the world. God was creating for himself a new nation with new laws and a new way of life. The Lord showed himself to be a God who desires to communicate himself and to forge a relationship with his people. In giving the law, God revealed his holiness. Friends, something to keep in mind for those who tend to discard the Old Testament as irrelevant. Listen to this. Paul clearly defined sin in his letter to the Romans in chapter 7, verse 7. Listen how he did it. What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Third, there was a request for a, an image to worship in Exodus 32. While Moses was on the mountaintop communicating with God, communing with God in the valley, the covenant is threatened by this golden calf incident. Not yet accustomed to worshiping a God they cannot see, weary of 40 days' wait and uncertain that Moses will ever return, 
that people request an image to worship. So here's Aaron. He's put in charge during Moses' absence, and he acquiesces, gives in to peer pressure. God informs Moses of the apostasy and tells him to go down into the valley immediately, threatening to destroy Israel and begin again with Moses. Moses intercedes. God relents. Fourth, God commands them to go, but God will not go with them. In Exodus 33, God commands Moses and the Israelites to continue the journey to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but God will not go with them. And the people are grieved that God will no longer be with them. They realize that the golden calf incident foreshadows that something has changed in the relationship between God and Israel. Israel had crossed the line, and they know it. As with their longing for Egypt, they may still want to go back to things as they were, to the familiar. But this time, this time they, they don't even raise their voices in complaint. And fifth, finally, let's look at the holiness of God. Friends, human beings cannot even begin to measure God's holiness. And yet God has revealed his glory and holiness to us in his word. Because of Jesus, Christians are able to know God through his attributes. And I think God's holiness is the crown of his attributes. God is holy. He is immutable, omnipotent, and eternal, yes? Odorai and I have been going through a course called uh, or taught by a scholar and theologian, C.R. Sproul. He teaches about 15 attributes of God, and he says God's attributes are not independent of one another, but are interconnected. And Dr. S. Lawson says, and I quote, to many people today, holiness is a foreign concept. For the authors of scripture, however, holiness is one of God's most prominent attributes. It denotes both his separation from creation as the infinitely superior one and his absolute moral purity, end quote. So let's take a quick look at the five characteristics of God's holiness. First, God's holiness is providential. Because God is like nothing is hidden from him. The Lord rules on high as the perfect judge. And no one can measure the depths of his understanding. All things, past, present, and future, are fully known by our God. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that all of creation is full of the glory of God because of his omniscience. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. The second, God's holiness is present. God's immensity stretches beyond human ability to measure. God is present here today at Zurich Mennonite Church in this country of Canada as well as in the Ukraine. More than that, he is the, at the center of the universe and is presence extends beyond all the limits of the cosmos. Yes? 
God's holiness is powerful, the third thought. The holiness of God also applies to his power. He is powerful beyond comparison. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. His, his power extends over all things, both visible and invisible. Galaxies, stars, planets, whatever. And friends, no matter the uncertainty of our times, the Lord remains exalted upon his throne. The fourth aspect of holiness is infinite. God's holiness is infinite. More than being immortal, God's eternal nature also means that he does not change. God's holiness sets him apart from all else because he exists in perfect purity and is eternally consistent within himself. And the fifth characteristic, God's holiness is incomparable. We will never be able to compare the holiness of our holy God. He is flawless, flawless, because God's infinite nature and character are supreme. In Isaiah chapter 6, the heavenly beings that surround God's throne continuously cry out, holy, holy, holy. By describing God this way, the angels are declaring that God is holy to a superlative degree, that he is to be elevated and honored above all else. Scripture often speaks of God's love, truth, and sovereignty, but these other attributes are not presented in the same fanfare and trifled repetition. Whether veiled or unveiled, Moses' face and radiant glow is a reminder of the uniqueness of his relationship with God and with Israel. It is a sign of God's care and continual presence that God's grace prevailed even in the midst of Israel's incredible sin. In other words, Moses' shiny face represents a reversal of outcome in the Golden Calf episode. It represents hope in the midst of sinners and stubborn people. Okay, I have to ask, do you ever wonder, is there any hope? No matter how dismal or depressing, no matter how unpromising the times, this story from Exodus from ancient Israel is a reminder to all of us that even when there is so much work to do, even when the, the situation appears impossible, and we feel we can't make it, when we feel that it's just no use. Just remember the title words of this, this Southern spiritual, which says, hold on just a little while longer. Everything is going to be all right. God, friends, everything is going to be all right because God's in it. God's in it. The Apostle Peter, who was one of the three disciples with Jesus, who was there as a witness of Jesus' transfiguration, says in Luke 9, verse 35 and 36. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And Peter was not to tell anyone after all. Who would believe this awesome experience? But years later, Peter wrote two letters. In his first letter, Peter gives advice to future generations. Advice about a new way of living and an admonishment to be prepared. 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to 17, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And, and just in case, friends, Peter is quoting from Leviticus 11, 44 and 45 here. Verse 17, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. And finally, verse 21, through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. O oh God, in the transfiguration of your son, you confirmed the mysteries of faith by the witness of Moses and Elijah. Make us together with your son, Jesus, heirs of your glory and bring us to enjoy its fullness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes. Pray with me. Lord God, grant us your grace to live every moment changed by your glory, daring to live with hope and courage and love, reflecting the life of Jesus through whom your glory shines in the most unexpected ways. In Jesus' name, amen.